0: and welcome to the Here and Now podcast from Federated Hermes. I'm Linda Dissel, Senior Equity Strategist. Today, I'm joined by our two returning guests for the podcast, Phil Orlando, Chief Equity Strategist, and RJ Gallo, head of our Municipal Bond Department group and head of the Duration Committee. We're going to dive in to discuss what they're expecting and what they're watching for the new year. Thank you both for joining the conversation today.
1: Thanks for having us back.
0: This is lots to t- talk about uh, after a fascinating year. I, ha- I just have the idea 2024 is going to be even more interesting. It, uh, and we'll start with you, Phil. It was, a, it was a strong finish to the year, 2023. How has GDP growth surprised this year? And then how have we adjusted next year's growth outlook uh, on the heels of this?
1: Well, you're right. Third quarter GDP in the U.S. was was a lot stronger than uh, expected. It was actually revised up uh, to 5.2 percent uh, uh, not too long ago. But when we when we uh, got into the weeds and looked at some of the reasons for that, the, the the quarter wasn't as strong as we thought. That that personal consumption, which accounts for about 70 percent of GDP, actually was revised down from 4 percent to 3.6 percent, and things that that are, are kind of junky in terms of quality, inventory accumulation and, and, and government non-defense spending. That, that's what actually drove the GDP higher. So as our macro policy committee sat down a couple of weeks ago to sort of get into the weeds on that, uh, we said, you know what, we, we, we think the weight on the economy over the next couple of quarters is, is slower, not stronger. Uh, and so uh, at Federated, we're forecasting uh, roughly a 1.5 percent GDP in the fourth quarter, and then we've got uh, essentially a 1 percent run rate in the first three quarters of next year. So our best guess is that that 5.2 percent number in the third quarter was, was abnormally strong. It was a head fake, and we think the, 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 the trend is, uh, is much slower over the next year or so
0: a nice deceleration then into the first half of the year and maybe pick up at the back half of the year. But, but R.J., all those calls for recession this year, and it seemed very much consensus, given so many of the historical indicators mm-hmm. that were flashing red all year long, what did consensus miss and what happened in November?
2: It's very clear that the market signals from the inverted curve and the leading economic indicators uh, have been flagging a very high probability of a recession uh, most economists, most in the market, had agreed that that recession was coming. Previously, we felt uh, at Federated Hermes on the macro committee that a recession was more likely than not. Um, the markets, I think, were rationally adjusting to the fact that we've witnessed the most drastic Fed tightening in four decades. It uh, seemed more likely than not that uh, that would take prisoners in the sense that it would cause a recession. Yeah. I think what foiled it uh, came from two different fronts. Uh, first. With respect to households and personal spending household spending personal consumption expenditures uh, there was a big hangover of a lot of excess savings from the COVID relief bills uh, households had not worked through that yet it helped to drive strong so-called revenge spending as people continued to re- respond to uh, the new world as the pandemic really has winded has wound down and it gives people an opportunity to go out and enjoy their lives again buying more products initially now buying more services so, that uh, led to a very strong consumer expenditures tr- across the economy. So, that's one factor that has foiled the recession calls. And the second, I think, is, is government spending. Um, under uh, Biden and the current composition of Congress uh, and the prior composition of Congress, we put in place a variety of acts the stimulus bills in the form of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, as well as the Inflation Reduction Act, which motivates a lot of. Uh, uh, green spending on the part of a lot of heavy industries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those two created uh, further tailwinds for the economy. So fiscal policy, in short, sort of offset monetary policy to some degree. Jury's still out on whether or not we'll get that recession in the year to come. Um, We expect at Federated that there's a a significant slowdown that's already in the works. Um, Whether it tips over into a recession is not our base case, but you can't rule it out. Uh, the history of soft landings is, is short. There aren't many of them in history. Usually when the Fed tightens this much, you get the recession. But it's quite possible that the particulars of the pandemic and the fiscal policy I just described uh, forestall that recession.
0: Yeah, all that extra money out there, and, of course, however long it takes to run out, it certainly is being drawn down, isn't it, considerably so as we we uh, look forward now. Then what do we have as our year-end Target GDP. What's 2024 GDP growth going to be? We think.
1: Uh, I, I think uh, 2024
0: uh, about 1.7 percent. 1.7. Uh, so.
1: Which is which is you know not not uh, uh, not a bad year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're probably mid twos this year, maybe about two and a half percent. Yeah. Something like that. So there'll be a deceleration, but again, where I think we differentiate ourselves from others is we've got this you know, soft landing, rocky landing call as mm-hmm. opposed to an outright recession. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of our competitors out there that think that, you know, well, we think a 1% growth rate for a couple of quarters next year is is our best guess. Uh, a, a lot of our competitors have negative numbers. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting, you know, get a bucket of popcorn to see, uh, you know, how it uh, how it plays out over the course of the next year.
0: Yeah, so that, that kind of dovetails nicely with uh, the slowing down that you've, you've both spoken of. But now let's look at the inflation fight. And the CPI and the PCE inflation has come in more benign than many thought. It's come down very, uh, very much apace here. So what are our thoughts for the trajectory for inflation next year, R.J.?
2: I think um, huge progress has been made. Uh, at one point we had the year-over-year CPI, uh, I think it was 9.2 percent. Uh, mid-year in 2022, so it's come down a lot. The Fed is very happy with that. The bond market is very happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a huge rally in bonds in November, of, uh, the November we just completed. Uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact that inflation continues to come in a little softer than many had expected or had feared, maybe is another way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the economy has clearly shown signs of decelerating. Uh, that caused the bond market to go on this huge rally in November as it, instead of being concerned about more Fed hikes, they've switched to an expectation uh, of, of Fed easing. Uh, where do we go from here? Uh, jury's out. Um, you know, we started the year thinking that we'd have a CPI with a three-handle on it. That worked. Uh, we started the year thinking that bond returns would be modestly positive, not negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, that worked. It didn't feel like it was going to work in October, but as a result of November, it has worked. Um, and we think that inflation's still on a gradual path downward. Uh, the risk is that the easiest part of the inflation fight is behind us in this last Percent or percent and a half to get back to the Fed's two two percent area um, might actually be a little bit more difficult. And we'll and
0: yeah, and and Phil, just as uh, R.J. is suggesting, the is down, but the fight carries on. How do we how do we feel about that core C.P.I. figure that uh, had just come out recently?
1: Well, the the reason the fight carries on is that a, a lot of investors you know, make the, the mistake of thinking that the utilization of monetary policy to adjust things like inflation is, is like flipping a light switch on and off. Yeah. And, and the reality is it's more like trying to turn a battleship in the ocean. I mean, we're a we're $25 trillion economy. Um, the cumulative weight of what the Federal Reserve has done over the last, you know, roughly two years now is, is taking the funds rate from zero now to 5.5 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, we think that's probably terminal <clears throat> value. And, and the Fed shrunk its balance sheet from $9 trillion. I think we're at about $7.8 trillion right now. So it takes a while for that to sort of filter through the economy. So here we are now with the core inflation that you talked about, Linda, the PC inflation. You know, we probably peaked out at, uh, you know, five and a half six percent 6% a couple of years ago. We're sitting at about 3.5% now. So we're making good progress, as R.J. said. But um, the Federal Reserve, if you look at their, Summary of economic projections. They've been saying, "Yeah, we're going to get to our two percent target," but by the end of calendar 26, well, that's three years from now. You know, I, I think RJ, I think you'd agree, the Fed's probably a little too conservative there. So I think that gets pulled into next year, 2025. So as RJ pointed out, I think correctly, we've made good progress on this inflation fight, and um, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna be where we want to be. Uh, you know, perhaps by the end of 25, not not 2026. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And then when we look at the 10-year bond yield and what that is reflecting, R.J., and then what we have expected uh, as a reflection of inflation, wow, it it, uh, it was up over 5% at the moment, wasn't it? And then a very spectacular pullback on yield, yields. Out. What are we thinking about where the 10-year might finish next year and how that matches with the trajectory of however long From it takes inflation. to get to 2% inflation, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, if, if inflation does fall, you know, closer to 2% by the end of 2024, mm-hmm. um, you know, some might think, well, does that mean the 10 years, you know, down below three? Um, and I think the answer to that's no. I think that the, uh, the post-pandemic world, we've seen higher inflation, more volatility of inflation. We've also seen uh, plenty of optimism that productivity is gonna pick up uh, due to technological progress, specifically AI. Uh, And we also have huge demands for capital, uh, large structural budget deficits that have not been addressed in the United States, as well as big demands for capital relating to the green transition away from fossil fuels. All those factors suggest yields should be higher going forward than they were, say, three to five years ago. So the 10-year Treasury uh, can probably finish the year somewhere around, you know, 375, maybe 350 to 4, something in that range. Uh, in 2024, even if inflation is down to 2%, that means that real rates are higher. Uh, greater demands to capital, larger budget deficits, yeah. faster growth due to productivity, all should lead to higher real rates going forward than we have experienced in the last decade. So that, that's a change, uh, admittedly. Yeah. But uh, for those reasons, I think that that's a reasonable expectation. It's rel- relatively bond-friendly. You don't need a huge rally when, y- when bond yields, when the 10-year Treasury yields 420 you can get 420 with no price change. You got a 4.2% total return. Yeah. It's not so bad. Yeah. Now that income has been restored to the fixed income asset class, you don't just have to bet on price changes to generate your return. So even if we just go to 375, that's still a pretty good return on a government security yeah. with relatively low credit risk.
0: Yeah. And uh, and sticking with you, RJ, now I'm stuck on something that uh, Phil said about the Fed suggesting we, we want our 2% target and we will get it, and we won't get it until 2026. And then uh, I was just watching one of the financial programs just recently, and they said, we're going to have a pivot party next year. There's going to be a pivot party because because um, they're going to cut rates. Mm. And wow, and, and just just casually observing, they're going to cut this many rates and it's going to be now. Actually, it's going to be six months from now. Actually, it will start 12 months from now. And what are our views here at Federated Hermes, as goes the cuts?
2: Yeah, well, we've certainly flipped the script. Uh, Just a couple of months ago, people were very concerned that the United States Treasury was borrowing so much that they were going to keep pushing yields higher. The 10-year Treasury hit 5 percent, as you noted, a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we got a a few signs that the economy is decelerating and inflation keeps going down, and that was enough. Um, that, as well as the Treasury sort of moderating, if you will, some of their long-term borrowing plans uh, to unleash this massive rally in November. The, the, the market probably reversed a little too aggressively. They, they, they went from pricing in the pr- prospect of another tightening into pricing in up to five 25 basis point easings in the next 12 months. Um, our view, that's a little extreme. Um, a, a Soft landing out, uh, outcome of the sort that we're calling for yeah. should suggest to me that the Fed will ease they won't ease five times. They probably won't even ease four times. Uh, Two to three eases to try to secure the soft landing as real GDP decelerates but remains positive sounds very reasonable. It maps really nicely to the last soft landing, really one of the only soft landings you can find in history from Fed hikes, and that was in the mid-'90s when the Fed hiked drastically in 94, and then eased two or three times, 95 through uh, up into 97, as signs of a slower economy emerged. And they, it worked. They actually secured the soft landing. So I say two to three eases next year. That's less
1: than what the, the market has priced in um, when we look for 2024. It, it, there's an important and potentially interesting complication here in that next year, 2024, is also a presidential election year. Yeah. And, and we've, uh, we took a deep dive on this a few years ago and found out that in the post-war era, the, the Federal Reserve is very reluctant to change monetary policy Right in the heart of the presidential election, for fear of sort of injecting themselves into the process, and so the Fed historically, uh, if they can avoid it, has tried to stay away from changing policy between Labor Day and the election. Um, so, as as you take RJ's comments, uh, which which I totally agree with, and then overlay uh, the, the 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 presidential election cycle on that, that might suggest that we've got. Uh, a second-quarter GDP flash that's going to come out, I think, on, like, July 26th. And then there's an FOMC meeting coming out a week later on July 31st. So I've sort of got that date circled on my calendar. But then you come up, the next FOMC meeting is not until after Labor Day. So the Mm -hmm. Fed probably avoids that if they maintain, you know, their historical consistency. And then the election is November 5th. The FOMC then has another meeting two days later on November 7th. So I've sort of got that date circled on my calendar. So if RJ's right that we get two cuts and if the Fed's consistent with their desire not to uh, interject themselves into the election, then July 31st and November 7th would seem sort of two likely dates that the Fed might be active.
0: And, And as goes the pivot party, Phil, you and I are both equity people. Are we rooting for cuts as equity people?
1: Well, yeah, so my colleague Steve Chevron's done a lot of work on this with his team uh, in the multi-asset solutions area. And, and the Fed historically, or stock markets historically, rip on pauses, but then uh, uh, things are a little choppier on cuts. Uh, because the market reads through and says, well, okay, if the Fed's cutting, they, they must know something that we don't know in terms of a deceleration in economic growth or corporate earnings growth or whatever. So if the Fed does start to cut interest rates, let's say at the end of July, that suggests that maybe the late summer, early fall months might be a little rocky in terms of the read-through that uh, the cumulative weight of what the Federal Reserve has done from tightening is is starting to come to bear in terms of slower economic growth, slower corporate earnings growth.
0: Yeah, and this is interesting also as to what, to what you said, mm-hmm. uh, RJ, as to cutting rates um, is a rare thing to do if you don't see a recession on the horizon, which is what I guess we're kind of betting on, and it maybe is appropriate given that real interest rates could continue to rise here if inflation does indeed come down and the Fed doesn't cut. So where do, you, do we have an opinion on where real interest rates should reside after we had them so very low for so long?
2: Yeah, for, for a while there, certainly or during the heart of the pandemic, we had negative uh, real yields throughout the developed world, U.S., Europe, and otherwise. Um, that is not a normal state of nature. Uh, The normal state of nature is to have positive real yields. Uh, If you look since the Volcker era, all the way up to just before the pandemic, uh, you know, there were plenty of periods where uh, yields were higher, real yields at the 10-year spot of the curve were higher than 2 percent, and there were some periods when they were lower than 2 percent. I think it's fair to say a 1.5 to 2 percent real yield, uh, looking forward, is a reasonable expectation. We're we're above that level now. we anticipate that as the economy decelerates and inflation keeps cooperating and moving moving down towards the Fed's target, we'll probably get some of the uh, some decline in real yields as well. Uh, in a world like that, if you know the underlying real yield is one and a half or two percent, and then you have inflation, you know, two, uh, two to two and a half percent, you can see how you get between, say, a three fifty to a four fifty sort of equilibrium nominal ten year Treasury mm-hmm. in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when periods are uh, challenging in the markets, when there's risk, when the economy is decelerating, you might go much lower than that. Uh, Conversely, when the economy is doing strong, you might go higher than that. But I think that those are, that's sort of a reasonable gravitational pull to think about, you know, 350 to 450. Somewhere around there is probably an equilibrium nominal 10-year Treasury uh, going forward.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, now I think I'd like to move over to the corporate earnings side, as we've, we've spoken about maybe a, Uh, slowing down of our economy in general. And then, Phil, in terms of corporate earnings, are they reporting for 2023, or have they done as we expected? And then how have we adjusted our expectations for next year's corporate earnings?
1: So the the corporate earnings recession that we thought was going to happen has, in fact, happened. Uh, And it looks like that process uh, wrapped itself up by the middle of this year calendar 23. So third quarter earnings in 2023 were, were actually represented a positive surprise for the first time in about five or six quarters. So that was good. Revenue a little better than expected and earnings were actually positive year over year. So as, as we saw that trend starting to materialize, uh, we're uh, still looking for $230 in S&P 500 earnings for this year. Uh, we're looking for $250 in earnings in calendar 24, and then we've got a, a, a preliminary uh, working number of $275 in earnings for uh, calendar 25. Now, th- those may sound like big numbers, uh, but they you know, actually represent sort of a mid-single-digit year-on-year increase. So I think the key here uh, is that we are not calling for an outright recession. And we are expecting that the Federal Reserve is probably going to cut interest rates twice in the back half of next year, which will provide uh, some impetus to uh, 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 economic growth and corporate earnings to improve in calendar 25. So uh, the earnings recession is probably behind us, and, and we're making some slow and steady progress to uh, to do better over the next two years. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and as you said, even if the third quarter was the first quarter where you had positive year over year, even the first and second quarters of 2023 surprised in a positive manner. And I think think a lot of that may have to do with the strength in corporate profit margins. I think maybe just 1% below an all-time high now. Was that strength in profit margins broad-based? And if so, why such a narrow market this year?
1: So a really good question. So, so while you had about four or five quarters in a row where earnings were negative on a year-to-year basis, they weren't as negative as the street was expecting going in. So I guess there was a positive surprise, even though the earnings were poor. Um, the margin question is a, is a fascinating one. And, and we just got an update not too long ago uh, on the progress of productivity and unit labor costs uh, in the third quarter, and those are key contributors to the, the, the profit margin question. And uh, the, the key trends there is that productivity improved, and uh, unit labor costs actually went negative. Uh, so, so the workers that are there are doing a better job, and, and they're costing their employers less money. Uh, so that, that is, is a positive for corporate profit margin. So if those trends continue at the same time that the Federal Reserve is beginning to ease policy and uh, the earnings recession is behind us and the economy starts to, you know, do marginally better over the course of the next two years or so. All of that is, is, is good news for corporate earnings, and that supports uh, you know the estimates of 250 for next year and 275 that we have in place for the next couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm. So that was fairly broad based in your view.
1: Oh, in terms of of yeah, uh, great question. So uh, technology probably uh, enjoyed uh, the the greatest improvement in margins, and that. I think dovetails beautifully with the, uh, the the performance of the magnificent seven that we saw, you know, which drove uh, uh, equity returns as meaningfully as they did in the first seven months of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those, you know, seven stocks roughly doubled in the first half of the year. Uh, and, and the rest of the S&P 500, the other you know, 493 companies were up, you know, 6% or something like that. So there was a significant divergence in performance. And I think to a significant degree, aside from the AI FOMO argument, uh, is that these companies uh, were enjoying uh, much more robust corporate profit margins. And the expectation for, for growth uh, because of the AI phenomenon, regardless of uh, what was going on in the broader economy, uh, led investors to, to get extraordinarily enthusiastic about this very narrow band of companies.
0: Uh, boy, that's for sure. So in order, in order for us to get the earnings expectation that we have for next year then, Phil, what are the keys that we're looking for to happen?
1: Uh, well, for this to occur. You know, certainly you you touched upon the profit margins, um, which uh, we think are have probably bottomed and are working higher. Uh, we've talked about uh, the need uh, for the Federal Reserve to to execute this pivot. Uh, which you think is, is likely in the second half of the year, although at a much more modest pace than a, a number of our competitors. R.J. talked about the consensus view being, you know, four, five, six cuts over the next year or so. We we just, you know, we just don't think that's going to happen. Uh, we think a couple of cuts in the back half of the year is, is more reasonable. Uh, and then, you know, our international partners, you know, Europe, Asia, uh, which are probably ahead of us by a year or so from an economic standpoint, they're probably already in recession now and, and over the course of the next year or so will be coming out. So So that will allow us, uh, I think, to do a better job of, of trading imports and exports with those countries and, and potentially will lift. Uh, our uh, economic activity. Yeah. So for all those reasons, as you sort of put them together, those are the sort of the key things that we're looking at, and we think we're on track to see, you know, all if not most of them.
0: Yeah, I think that's that could be an important point, mm-hmm. is that for the rest of the world, they're not doing as well as what we've been doing this year and really kind of migrating s- slower and slower towards a recession. Right. That could really uh, be required next year, wouldn't you think, to get, to get our economy, keep our economy going?
2: Yeah, I think that um, it's a bit of an outlet from the the, the inflation fighting has been global. Uh, Central banks in many economies uh, have tightened extraordinarily and are now pivoting in in the path of easing. Right now there's more eases priced in for the ECB, for example, than the the Fed because the Eurozone uh, is just struggling economically, uh, you know, more than we are here at home. I think ultimately uh, a slowdown in China, which is very much underway, uh, a a slower growth path in, in Europe, Uh, and even eventually Japan, you know, it actually could be consistent with the idea of further disinflation in the U.S. and some precautionary eases here in the U.S. and a soft landing outcome. Um, If we have sharp deceleration globally, uh, that is not consistent with continued inflation problems. It's consistent with disinflation. So that's what the Fed is expecting, that's probably what we're apt to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed that way. And, you know, and, and Phil, my concerns about uh, the profit margins being surprisingly uh, surprisingly high this year is that uh, that many companies have enjoyed the ability to raise prices to pass on their inflationary costs. And because of all the stimulus monies that we've spoken about here, we've ponied up the money. We complain and then we pony up the money and we fill the airports and we, we, uh, we fill the restaurants and et cetera. And I know I'm not the only one out there shopping because the malls even, you know, locally <laughs> are full. So what I'm wondering is, and I just saw small business optimism index, and uh, business uh, leaders, small business leaders are not in a good mood, and only 25 percent have been able to raise prices in, you know, th- th- that figures come down a lot this year. They're unable to raise prices. And that Atlanta Fed wage tracker I think has it has inflation for for salaries 5%. Is this not going to be a more challenging year in 2024 to defend those margins?
1: Well, the, the 5% wage tracker number from the Atlanta Fed, and I think the Bloomberg consensus is probably closer to 4%, the, those numbers are extraordinarily problematic for the Federal Reserve yeah. because when they are trying to achieve their 2% core PCE inflation target the appropriate wage number, in their mind, is a number that has a three handle. You know, let's call it three, three and a half percent. So if the number is actually four or five percent, then that argues for the Federal Reserve sort of sitting on the sidelines, higher for longer, which I think is consistent with our House view that the Federal Reserve is not going to be jumping in and cutting interest rates, you know, in March of next year because they want to take a patient, vigilant approach Uh, to to make sure that these inflation levels, including wages, are are coming down. Uh, Early in the pandemic, given the supply and demand imbalance and uh, the issues with uh, the kinks in the supply chain and the like, uh, and, and... literally a couple of trillion dollars of excess savings just sloshing its way through the economy. Companies had no problem uh, raising prices uh, to recapture their uh, additional cost of goods sold and their additional labor costs. Uh, It's a little more like hand-to-hand combat right now, but uh, the administration, uh, President Biden uh, not too long ago, Uh, uh, admonish companies to stop price gouging. I I don't think there's any price gouging going on. Companies are doing what they feel they need to do in order to maintain their profit margins and reflect the fact that that, uh, labor costs and commodity costs and the like are a lot higher today than they were a couple of years ago. Yeah. So it's 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 sort of a confusing landscape right now in terms of how this thing is going to shake out. We think the 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 trend, the deceleration, longer term is going down, uh, but you know timing and destination are you know uh, uncertain points that uh, we've just got to try to figure it out over time.
0: And all that put together, what is our year-end target for the S and P 500 2024?
1: Uh, In 23, uh, we had expected that uh, once the S&P 500 had achieved what we felt was a dramatically oversold 4,100 level in uh, late October, uh, we were all in, raised our equity overweight to 5%. We felt the S&P 500 would get up to the 4,600 level by the end of this year. And, and we're essentially there. So we're feeling pretty good about where the market is right now. As we look ahead to calendar 24, uh, we think that uh, stocks continue to work higher to the 5,000 level, uh, not in a straight line, of course. We think there's going to be a lot of variability and chop over the course of the year. Uh, we think the first part of the year is going to be pretty good, uh, based upon the fact that the market, uh, I think, will realize, if they haven't already, that the Fed uh, has has hiked for the last time. That we are on pause. Uh, stocks historically rip on pauses, so uh, that that we think will generate a, a decent first half. Uh, we talked about the uh, the summer months, uh, late summer, early fall, in terms of when's the first Fed cut, uh, and and some uh, some concerns of variability going into the election. Uh, that that tends to be choppy. At least it has historically. Uh, but then post the election, uh, the market and presidential election years uh, tends to enjoy a very strong year-end rally, as in investors and voters uh, feel very excited about the, uh, uh, you know, the change in leadership they've put in place and the prospect for better uh, fiscal and uh, fiscal policies that are more business-friendly and market-friendly. So, you know, 5,000 by the end of the year with sort of a uh, barbell-shaped pattern uh, over the course of the year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that is, as you said, commensurate with what historically has happened during election years now. Election years, RJ, as versus the Fed, how is that going to play out Mm -hmm. in terms of their timing? What does history teach us there?
2: Well, as uh, Phil suggested earlier, the the Fed does tend to steer clear of changing policy for maybe the two – maybe three meetings leading up to the November election date. They just, they want the appearance uh, of just staying out of the political fray. Um, Chances are they'll do that again. Um, When circumstances have warranted, they've departed from that behavior. During the global financial crisis in the 2008 election, uh, the Fed was acting aggressively in all kinds of ways, easing, uh, ultimately intervening in all kinds of ways in September of 2008 when the markets were in distress, for lack of a better term. Uh, You know, even though there was an election coming up, they didn't allow the election to force them to sit idly by and watch Rome burn. Um, Obviously, our call is not for a reburning of Rome. We We shouldn't have a 2008. (laughs) Yeah, we're not thinking we're going to have another global financial crisis. Um, Our view is that uh, disinflation will will work. I mean, I think if you look in 2024, there's probably about a 60 percent chance of our base case soft landing. Yeah. Uh, that leaves about 40 percentage points to be accounted for. Uh, so put, you know, 30% chance on, on, on the soft landing becoming a little harder than expected, i.e. you get some sort of recession, and a very low probability of the remaining 10% on a reacceleration in growth and inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, a world like that, I think, is pretty friendly for fixed income returns. It's probably pretty friendly for risk assets, since our base case is, is the soft landing. Yeah. Uh, that's a fairly investor-friendly outlook for 2024.
3: Views are as of December 12, 2023 and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. This is not intended to be a recommendation for any specific security or sector. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Examples of yield are for illustrative purposes and are not intended to represent any specific investments. Diversification does not guarantee a profit nor protect against loss. Bond prices are sensitive to changes in interest rates and a rise in interest rates can cause a decline in their prices. The value of equity securities will rise and fall. These fluctuations could be a sustained trend or a drastic movement. S&P 500 Index is an unmanaged capitalization-weighted index of 500 stocks designed to measure performance of the broad domestic economy through changes in the aggregate market value of 500 stocks representing all major industries. Duration is a measure of a securities price sensitivity to changes in interest rates. Securities with longer durations are more sensitive to changes in interest rates than securities of shorter durations. Phillips Curve An economic model that portrays an inverse relationship between the level of unemployment and inflation on a historical basis but has come under doubt in recent decades. Magnificent Seven, moniker for the seven mega cap tech related stocks Amazon, Apple, Google Parent Alphabet, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla GDP stands for Gross Domestic Product, PCE stands for Personal Consumption Expenditures. CPI stands for Consumer Price Index. FOMC stands for Federal Open Market Committee. ECB stands for European Central Bank. Federated Advisory Services Company.